Let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then we will pass. I'll pass out the material, and we'll get started and get you guys uh, kind of acclimated to what we will be doing this year. And uh, hopefully, it will be encouraging and helpful and fun and all that stuff and challenging. So, let's have a word of prayer first. Lord, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about your word, talk about your your um, your truth. And I pray as we look at uh, these things that you would open up our hearts and minds to truth of the Word of God, and that we would uh, be clear and uh, precise in how we explain these things as to avoid uh, saying things that are inaccurate about you, and that you would help us to be able to identify bad theology when we hear it, see it, so it doesn't infect infect the way we act. And I pray, Lord, you'd give us a wonderful meeting tonight, and I pray you'd equip all of us to um, do what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here are the books. If you want to take one of these and just pass it, these are uh, notebooks of notes. Um, and I don't know how, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It looks like we are right on. I have like 10 of these things made up. That should, you might have an extra one there. Five, six, seven, eight. Maybe I had 11 made up. Um, I'm going, we're going to walk through uh, several things. Let me just kind of explain. Wow, she made up a couple more. That's great. Let me explain, um, let's just open up your book right from the beginning and let's look at uh, what it says. You'll notice um, the first page is the syllabus. Let's talk about the syllabus. I want to be, make sure we're clear on what expectations are for the class and what it looks like, what we'll be doing. Some of you have taken classes from me before. The class is Doctrine 2. There are uh, four doctrine classes we teach here at Harvest. This is Doctrine 2, which covers three doctrines. Christology, Soteriology, and Pneumatology, and we'll talk about what those are, and you'll know more about them by the end of the semester for sure. The textbook is Paul N.'s Moody Handbook of Theology, revised and expanded from 2014. It does not have to have the John MacArthur forward, I guess yours has the Dwight Pentecost forward on it, uh, which is fine, but this is the edition that we're going to be using with the page numbers and everything. If you do not have this, um, I can I can send you a scanned. I forgot to get it done. I was going to co- make a little copy of the reading for next week for you ahead of time, but I did not do that. I apologize. But I'll scan it if you need a copy of the book. If you don't have this ordered yet, um, you'll need to do the reading before next week. Um, you can get it on Kindle. That's a great way to read it. Um, we might actually have a couple in our library. We used to keep some of these on. Uh, but I don't remember how much exactly they are. But uh, anyway, um, this is what the textbook is, and um, you can get it for around $30 um, online. It is kind of expensive, but it is, a, it is a, a lot. It's the only book we use for our doctrine class. All the doctrine classes come from this book. I'm the instructor. Here's my information. Uh, my email is right there. I, I do ask if you email me about this class. You do put Hibby in the uh, subject line so I know what it's about. helps me get to you in a, in a proper, timely manner. Um, office number, mobile number, and the course description. The course teaches the doctrines of Christology, that's the doctrine of Christ, soteriology, that's the doctrine of salvation, and pneumatology, that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Okay, those are the three doctrines we're going to be talking about this fall. The course objectives, the student will be able to, this is what I want you to be able to accomplish at the end of the course, okay? You'll be able to articulate the role and importance of systematic theology in the Christian's life, okay? Different kinds of theology. Today we're going to introduce what systematic theology is, why it's, how it's different from other kinds of theology, and why it's important and what, what value it brings to the table. Okay. The student will be able to articulate the important biblical support, that is the key verses for the doctrines of Christology, pneumatology, and soteriology, which means there will be times in quizzes when I'll ask you specific verses. I'll say, what verse supports this doctrine? And I'll give you options. I very rarely am going to ask you to just come up with it off the top of your head, but you should be able to recognize it on a list. Okay? So verses are important. Like knowing key verses is important. I'm sorry about the noise next door. I, 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 we're just going to have to avoid that. I mean, ignore that. You're going to have to just listen to the sonorous tones, tones of my voice over the, the, the mayhem next door. Uh, hopefully we'll keep it interesting so it is going to be stimulating to the brain. So as being able to articulate the important biblical support, you will also be able to identify number three, heterodox, that means heretical or not orthodox views of Christology, pneumatology, 
and soteriology and refute these heresies with biblical support. So you're going to talk about wrong views as well. So that's important, and we'll get into that later. Course will be taught once a week in lectured, occasionally discussion format. Questions from students during class are encouraged. Um, textbook reading will be assigned, should be read carefully before class. You'll see that in the chart, which I will provide next page over. Reading quizzes will be given almost every class period. You'll see the schedule for that. Again, um, read carefully. Read carefully, underline a highlight, take notes. Unit quizzes will assess your understanding of assigned reading and lecture material. That means that I'll have a unit lectures as well as reading quizzes. So the lectures, I will not quiz you over things that are not found in the book. Okay? And includes over co content. So if it's a unit on Christology, if I was making offhanded comments in class about something that's not in the book, I'm not going to quiz you on that. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's for your own. I'm not trying to make this super hard. I don't want this to be a class where you're sweating and, and having heart palpitations and not being able to sleep at night because of this. Okay, this is, that's not the goal. The goal is to be an encouragement, but also a challenge to you so that you actually do learn. I want you to learn, and what you put in, you'll get out. Okay? Um, <clears throat> course projects will provide opportunities for a student to demonstrate knowledge of the material. Uh, I, I like to think of projects as opportunities to excel. Okay? They, they, are, they are not... Um, they're not negative, they are good things. So think of it as an opportunity to learn, opportunity to demonstrate your knowledge in a particular area. Late work will only be accepted up to one week after the due date. That has to do with projects. Um, late work will incur a 5% penalty per day. Quizzes cannot be made up. I have to say, I've never really gotten somebody who turns in stuff late, so don't be the first. <laughs> Any absence should be pre-approved by the teacher. Unapproved absences will be a doctor class participation grade. I give you class participation grade just to help boost your overall grade, but if you're habitually absent, um, it just makes it hard on everybody. Further study, I list some books there that I consulted in the putting together of this. Number two, uh, semester schedule. Today's the first day of class, 9-14-2022. The last day of class will be 12-14-2022. That is, uh, again, a Wednesday. You'll notice the, the, the schedule is... Looks like this. Today's date, there is no in-class quiz. Aren't you glad, right? Uh, you haven't had any reading yet, so I couldn't quiz you over anything. You'll notice that we're covering the syllabus, schedule, class requirements, introduction, and systematic theology. That's what we're covering in class. Okay, but assignment due before class, none. But next week, I'm going to read ENDS. This is ENDS right here. Paul ENDS wrote the book. So ends 229 to 235. Um, and we're going to cover in class next week, Unit 1, Christology. We're going to get into preexistence and eternality of Christ, Old Testament prophecies of Christ. My goal is to stay on track. If I get off track, I will try to catch up. Um, I've never taught this class before, so bear with me if I spend too much time on one thing and not enough time on the other. Um, there is a lot of ground to cover here. This is a lot of stuff, and I don't know how much we'll be able to actually delve into details, but if you want to go deep on something, we can. We just are sacrificing our time for other things. There are two breaks we have. Missions conferences on 1019 and 1123, a Thanksgiving break. We are done before Christmas, but I have put the 1228 date for the project. I thought that would be fair. Give you a couple extra weeks after to turn in your final project. Okay, there are three projects in the class. We'll talk about that next. Turn over page three. Project number one, I want you to do a defense of the deity of Christ. I want you to write a three to five page double space paper defending the deity of Christ against the heresy of Arianism. Arianism, we'll learn about, is the doctrine or is the heresy that teaches that Jesus was an elevated being, but not God. Okay. Arius taught Arianism. The Jehovah's Witnesses are Arians. Okay. Not Arian like Hitler Arian. Arius Arian, okay? Project number two is a position on the Spirit's work today. I want you to write a three to five page double space paper stating your position on the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today. You may want to contrast this with position of Pentecostalism or modern day tongues and healings movements. I think that's a, an obvious, very practical uh, study. And, and what does the Bible teach about the work of the Spirit versus what is happening in the world today? I want a position paper. Like, what do you believe the Bible teaches about the work of the Spirit? Number three, leading someone to Christ. This is your soteria. You notice all three of these are different uh, doctrines. So the first one is, is Christology. The second one is pneumatology. The third one is soteriology. I want you to do a, 
write a one-page, three-to-five par uh, paragraph single-space paper describing how you would lead someone to faith in Christ. Be sure to include all relevant Bible passages, provide an outline of your points. Please avoid narrative structures. In other words, what I, I don't want is I walk into the store and there's someone sitting on the counter. I glance into their eyes and they look back at me really quick and then I say, hey, you want to talk? And they're like, yeah. So we talk for like five minutes and then we finally get around to the gospel. And, okay, we don't want narrative. What I want you to do is explain we're going to go from this point talking about sin, talking about their need for a Savior, you know, asking these questions, turning to the gospel. He's showing them these verses. That, that's what I want. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Um, formatting guidelines for all projects. I know this is boring, but hang with me. Uh, I'd like you to use 12-point serif or sans-serif fonts. I'll give you some options here to use. Times New Roman, Cambria, Calibri, Book Antiqua, Georgia, Ariel, Optima, Helvetica. No other fonts are allowed. Please, no script fonts, no comic sans. Nothing fancy. Um, please include a title sheet, including your name, course name, and title. I got an example for you. One-inch margins. Follow standard writing guidelines. That's just be good with your writing. No run-on sentences, misspelling fragments, or the like. You may use online resources for your work. Just make sure you cite, please. If you're citing something, cite it. Don't plagiarize. I have, I have caught too many, normally they're younger students, plagiarizing. I can tell if you're plagiarizing. It sounds like, like a PhD student or something. And I'm like, wait a second. They don't know what that word means. How could they be using that correctly? And so I Google like two lines of your paper, and then boom, there it is. And, and I have done that. I hate to say this, I have in hippie classes, I have done that multiple times with people. There have been multiple times where people have plagiarized, and I've had to, what I do is I take my highlighter out and I highlight all the references I can find to plagiarism, and then I ask the student, I say, did you plagiarize your paper? And they're like, I don't think so, and then I hand it over and I say, these are the places I found was plagiarized. It's, it's embarrassing to that person, and it's just a waste of time. Do not do that. Just, just, if you quote something, cite it. What that means is that you put it in quotes, and you either footnote it or, or you put it in parentheses where you found it. I prefer footnotes. It's really easy. Insert footnote on Microsoft Word and put it in the bottom. Use, look up formatting. I use Turabian format. If you don't know what that means, just give me some, make sure I can find it. You know, book name, author, page number, website, date access, that kind of thing. <clears throat> okay? Uh, the other thing I want to say is these are just taken from uh, experience. Do not quote large blocks of scripture in your paper. Don't quote like half of the book of Genesis, you know, three, you know, like, oh, here, here's what you can do about salvation. Here's Romans one through three. And then there's your paper. And I'm like, wait a second. Uh, that's not your work. Uh, that's the apostle Paul's work. And I can't grade him. So, uh, what, what if we cite it? You know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here I want you to cite, I want you to cite stuff, but I, I don't and I don't mind you citing like a verse or two, but if you're going to quote, like say Romans one, 12 through 23, don't 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 block quote it. Just put Romans. I know what that ver I know what those verses say. Okay, and I have I have a computer. I have a Bible. I can look it up. So I don't need I don't need you to like put it in your paper to pad. The, I know what you're doing. I know what you. I was a student <laughs> once too. The, the concern isn't really that you know what we're saying. No, it is. Uh, I know why people do that. That's why it's there. If you choose to use section headers in your project, use example format, um, all caps, centered, same font and size the rest of your project. Here's an example of what it looks like to have a header in your paper. Notice slavery in the Pauline epistles is centered. It is in the middle. And the next paragraph begins with a uh, half-inch indent. Uh, that's just standard Turabian format right there. Uh, the grading, if you have questions regarding your formatting, please direct it to me. Just say, hey, what do you think about this? Can I use this really cool font? The answer is no. <laughs> no, I do not want to read that font. Okay, grading rubric. This just means what things are worth. Reading quizzes are 20%. Unit quizzes, 10%. Project 1, 10, 20, 20, 20 for the three projects. Class participation, 10. Wait, 20, 40, 60, 70, 80, 90. Okay, good. Got to 100 there. Um, I do 10-point grading scales. It's just easier and simpler to know how you're doing. If, it's, if there's uh, 30 points on a quiz and you miss three, you, got, you still got 90%. I mean, it's easy. You just move the decimal over, and you can figure out what your, what your grade was. Um, it's, it's very easy to keep track of your grade that way. So I like 10-point grading scales. I think they're fair. <clears throat> if you get below 60%, um, you're, you're not doing well. Most people will probably get an A or B. Uh, C is... Uh, um, I'm, I'm an easy grader. I've said this to everybody. I'm an easy grader. I'm a nice grader. Unless you demonstrate you don't know what you're talking about, I'm very forgiving. So just try to be 
Try to be good. Uh, next page, you notice here is an example of a title page, title of project, and all cap about two inches down from top of page. I don't know if you knew this, but in Microsoft Word, if you're using that to write your paper, there's actually a ruler on the page on the left-hand side. You can see exactly how far down you're going without having to measure it. Um, or if you're using a typewriter, you can get a you know, ruler out and measure it yourself. Um, class name, Harvest Baptist Bible Institute, and the date. Um, and then turn over. This is kind of the formatting here. Notice the headers, introduction, centered, place your introduction of the paper in the paragraph one, give the basic topic and the importance of the reason your paper's existence, double space everything. Double space everything, except for that last project, which is single spaced. Section header, uh, when talking about a new section, perhaps one of the groups in the New Testament. This was a paper I did. All right, I did this example when we did the, paper, the groups in the New Testament from New Testament survey, which is why it says that. Begin with a clear section header. Header, provide an extra space before the header. Uh, always begin a new paragraph with your topic sentence. Use the rest of the paragraph to prove or provide evidence for your topic sentence. This is just clear writing, okay? So when you write, when we're writing papers or writing projects, I'm not interested in creative writing. We're not talking about using colorful language or, or buttering things up or butterflies, you know, all that kind of, that kind of flowery stuff. We're talking about is being clear. So the, what you want to do if you write your project is you want to be topic sentence, examples, or proofs. Okay? Give me your topic sentence at the beginning of each paragraph. And the way you could do this is when you do an outline of your paper or your project, whatever your, your points are, that's probably your topic sentence. Okay? And then you write out. It's a very simple way of writing, and it's much better than the crazy um, way some people write. Uh, try to avoid passive sentences. There were certain groups in Israel, or that's passive. Active is certain groups in Israel you know, existed, I guess. That's not much better, but you get the idea. Active voice is better. Conclude your paper with a clear and concise summary. Do not introduce new ideas or material in your conclusion. Do not seek to apply the information to the reader's personal life. I can't tell you how many times I've read a paper and somebody tries to apply it to my life at the end. I, I don't need that. I really just want you to... Summarize the paper. It's not a sermon. Okay, just summarize the paper. Any questions about all that, all that information? I went really fast, but I assume some of you are familiar with this kind of stuff. Is the unit of your project on soteriology or Well, let's look. It's on soteriology. Yeah, so your first project's Christology, the doctrines of deity of Christ. Second project is pneumatology, spirit. And the third project is on soteriology or salvation, which is why I'm asking you to tell me how to lead, how to lead someone to Christ. Yeah, Say, being, getting saved. Conversion. Okay, any other questions on the kind of stuff we just covered? Okay, let's dive in. What is our introduction here? Introduction to systematic theology. If I miss a blank, please raise your hand and let me know. I'm using my own notes here, so um, I have your notes too, but hopefully I, I won't. Um, the word, we're going to start with exegesis. Some of you have heard this before. This is important. I like to start here. We talk about systematic theology. It's important to get to how do we understand what the Bible says. What is exegesis? The definition of that is to draw out. Exegesis means to draw out. As in, to draw water from a well. That's the picture. Okay? You are, you are taking something that is there, and you are pulling the meaning out. Something that is already there. This is very important, because in our modern world today, the idea is that you make up your own meaning, or that you create meaning, or that meaning is a sign. Meaning is in the text from the original author, and your job as student is to understand what the text is saying, okay? Not to put your own ideas in. So exegesis may be an unfamiliar term, but the meaning shouldn't be unfamiliar. To draw out is important, not to put it in the text. This presupposes that meaning exists, and the purpose of the scripture is to communicate this meaning. Meaning exists. And it's there in the text. We also presuppose the unity of the message of the Scripture. I have a quote here from Grant Osborne in his book, The Hermeneutical Spiral. He says, The process is complex and forms the heart of hermeneutical theory, which seeks first to determine the author's intended meaning. 
and then apply it to one's life. This is a single task, and the two aspects, meaning and significance, cannot be separated since the determination of meaning, what it meant, is already done from the standpoint of modern perspective or significance, what it means. Exegesis uses grammar and syntax. So it's exegesis uses grammar and syntax in order to reveal the intended meaning of a particular section of a written language by the original writer in its context. That sounds kind of complicated, but the idea is that you need to be able to understand what the Bible's saying in its original context by using these things. If it never, if it never meant it, it can't mean it. Okay, we, we definitely are going back to what the Bible is saying. Okay, there is a role of context here. That's 1.1.2. Exegesis demands the reader look at the passage in its context in anticipation of uncovering a meaning from the original author. Okay? So when you deal with context, there are different kinds of context. There is, uh, so if you have a text, then you have the, the immediate context which surrounds it. So if a text is in the book of John, what's its immediate, if it's in John chapter 3, What's its immediate context? John, John chapter 3? Yeah, oh, so let's say John 3.16. Let's just use that verse. What's the immediate context of John 3.16? John 3. John 3. And then what's the context of John 3? The book of John. The book of John. And then the Gospels. And then the New Testament. And then the Bible. You move outward. Okay? So you, you, is it helpful to understand Old Testament in interpreting New or New Testament in interpreting Old? But you need to start with the immediate context first and then move outward. Sometimes the questions you have are right there. Just open your eyes. Okay? Um, once the preceding and following context are established and considered, the interpreter needs to consider larger context. So what happens is, is you come with a general understanding of what a text means, an exegesis. Then you ask questions and you get more and more precise on what that is actually saying. Okay? And that's called a hermeneutical spiral. We're not going to get into all those details. That's not the point today. I just want to expose you to this idea because we'll be talking some about exegesis. So when doing theology, the reader must take in the context of the biblical passages into consideration when weighing biblical evidence. Often the evidence used was not intended explicitly to prove exact point by the biblical author. Here's what I mean. We're looking for clues. And sometimes the, the, the author is not necessarily teaching a specific point, but by saying it the way he does, he says something that we can infer. This happens all the time uh, in, in, um, in investigations, in criminal investigations, right? It's not that the person was trying to, to, um, to, to, to incriminate themselves, but by revealing something, they end up revealing that they were in a certain place, and they happen to be, it's kind of similar where a lot of this is like investigative work, okay? There will be things that may not necessarily be explicit, but the explicit ones are the best, but sometimes they're inferences, and we'll talk about that. So you must weigh the evidence carefully and evaluate in light of larger purposes of biblical work where the scripture passage is found. So sometimes uh, something speaks very clearly on a passage, and sometimes it does not speak, very, I mean, on a topic. Other times it does not speak as clearly on a topic. You have to weigh those and decide how to interpret them in light of each other and whether something is being specific or not specific about it, okay? As contrast, there's the word eisegesis. Eisegesis as the idea of reading into a text, not letting the text speak for itself. So we want to avoid doing this. Why is exegesis important for dealing with theology? Uh, well, for a solid foundation for systematic theology, we must build a solid exegetical foundation. I want you to think of the verses and the passages we'll use as bricks with which we construct a building. Okay, the building and systematization of biblical truth, if we have the wrong blocks and the wrong places, we'll not have a strong building. So this is, if I have to give you a picture of systematic theology, which we'll, again, talk about more in a moment, it's that it's like a building that is made up of, of blocks of truth. So we, the doctrine of Christ is made up of several different key doctrines. And we get these doctrines from all over Scripture. There's no one place in Scripture that gives us an outline for the Christology or pneumatology. 
For example, let's talk about pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is it merely some sort of energetic force? Okay, that's an interesting question. How would you know that? Well, you have to go to all the scripture and you have to read, for example, in Acts chapter 5, I think it is, where Peter says to Ananias, he says, Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You cannot lie to the electricity going through your, your house. You lie to people. Now, was Peter, like in the middle of that confrontation, stopping everyone and say, okay, everybody, I'm going to give you a quick explanation as to the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. No, he's not, he's not doing that in order to teach that truth. But by saying, that, saying those words, he is inferring that truth. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? The purpose of his speech was not necessarily to teach the person of the Holy Spirit. But by him saying that, we understand the Holy Spirit is a person. I hope that isn't too confusing. The basic rule for exegesis, if we're going to stick with this, the basic rule, and again, we're being very simplistic, and I understand that, so if this is causing confusion, either you can bear with me and ignore it, or you can, you can clarify it. Either one's fine. It's what we call normal interpretation. And all that means is that some people call it literal. Literal is not always the best word because different texts have different ways of communicating. So... Sometimes people communicate in figurative ways. That does not mean it's not normal. Normal text means there are, you're not in, imposing a different strategy on the text and the text is requiring of itself. Okay, so if you, a long time ago, we used to get up in the morning and we got to our mailboxes, there'd be these things called newspapers. And you'd, you'd pick them up, you bring them inside and you open them up and you drink your coffee and, and actually read a newspaper. And in the newspaper, there were these things called news reports. And the news report had a very specific style to it. It'd have a byline. And it would say, by John Smith. And then it would say something like, London. Period. It's telling you where this report was happening. And then it would give you what's called an inverted pyramid scheme of writing. That is, a journalist writes all of the most important information in the first paragraph. And then they explain the details in the following paragraphs. So all of the important information is at the top because they know that if you read a newspaper, what do you read? You read the headline and like the first couple lines and you skip on. If you're really interested, then you'll keep reading. They do that on purpose. This is a style. Okay, it's a style of writing. It's journalistic writing. You know this without even realizing it. Okay, no one reads this and says London. I wonder what London represents. I wonder if it represents the stormy heart of the soul. You know, London's always so dark and dreary. I wonder if that's like what the artist is trying to communicate through this poem. Because it's obviously a poem. I mean, who else would start London? It's so evocative. You know, no one does that, right? You see London and you say, oh, I know what this is. This is a newspaper article. And newspaper articles have facts. It's who, what, when, where, why, how. What's going on? Okay. So this is true with scripture. There are times in scripture, there's a story. And the story is meant to be taken as a story. There are times in scripture where it's epistolary literature, a letter. There are times when it's a, a parable or a miracle story or a psalm or a proverb. And you naturally will read these things correctly unless you just don't want to um, uh, foist a different interpretation on it. So we, we read things normally. That's the basic way I can do it. The other way you could say this is that this is um, historical Grammatical, contextual. Did I have any more? Oh, and genre sensitive. Reading. In other words, we read it in its historical context. We read it in its grammatical setting. Okay, you don't twist words to mean what they don't mean. It says something, you just take it as it is. Contextual in its context. And if it's genre sensitive, so some genre is, is written in certain ways, you just need to be aware of that. Proverbs are not promises, right? They're proverbs. They're wisdom sayings. Understand it that way. Any questions on exegesis? That's a whole semester right there, in like 10 minutes. You get the idea? You get the basic idea, right? I, I just want to, here's what I don't want to happen. 
Well, this verse means to me, okay, that, that's, uh, that's not acceptable, okay? We're not, we're not in this to say, well, what this verse means to me, or I think, well, I think, or I've always heard, no, 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 it's, it's what does it say, and what does it mean? What is the context? What's the, what's the grammar say? What's the historical background to it? How can you understand what's, what's going on there? Okay. Now we get to talk about systematic theology, 1.2. Are you there yet? What is systematic theology? The word theology comes from two Greek words. Theos and logos. Theos means what? Anybody know? It means God, right? And logos means yeah, word. Word, yeah. Logic, we get our word logic from it, right? Study. So anthropology is a study of man. In our context, it means study. But it means a word. We get our, our word logo from this, right? A logo. Um, so theology is a study of God. And systematic theology is emphasizing what's called the systematization of biblical knowledge. So what we're doing is we are scientific in our approach and in methodology. That is, you approach the scripture with a hypothesis and you test the hypothesis against scripture to see if it concords with what you find written. It is, it is using all of scripture... Understanding the role that progressive revelation happens. In other words, that later scriptures often clarify earlier scriptures. But what you're doing is you're taking all of scripture and you're putting together the pieces. You are, you are drawing from all of scripture. That's what syst- And you're systematizing it. You are trying to organize these truths about these different things into some sort of outline kind of format using verses all over. If you look at your book, let's go ahead and um, open your book now if you have it. Um, if you go to uh, an example of this would be our reading for on Christology, what he, he says is he begins with the eternality and deity of Christ, and he says direct proof, and he references John 1.1 1, 1 and John 8.58 is number one and number two. Now, he does not start with Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, right? He starts in John because he organizes, he rearranges and organizes. So, so, so systematic theology is intentionally fractured in that way. It, it seeks to, as clearly and as precisely as possible, articulate doctrinal truth. Um, Erickson makes a definition that he says, systematic theology is that discipline which strives to give a coherent statement of the doctrines of the Christian faith based primarily upon the scriptures placed in the context of culture in general, worded in a contemporary idiom and related to the issues of life. I like that. I think that's very good. Erickson gives five ingredients to systematic theology. Theology is biblical, utilizing the tools and methods of biblical research. It is systematic, drawing out the entirety of Scripture and relating to various portions to one another. It is relevant to culture and learning. It draws from all the other parts as well, cosmology, psychology, philosophy of history. Theology must be contemporary, relating God's truth to questions and challenges of today. It must be practical, not merely declaring objective doctrine, but relating to life itself. As I mentioned, there are different there are other ways of doing theology, of studying God. There is biblical theology. Biblical theology is narrower in focus. It emphasizes a particular writer or era. If if you're going to be doing biblical theology, you would say, what is Paul's theology of suffering? And what you would do is you look at the Apostle Paul's writings and you would find where he talks about suffering and understand his particular understanding of suffering. That's one way of doing biblical theology. Um, there are many other ways of doing biblical theology. It has been abused. It's also been helpful. I, I, like some, I did a biblical theology paper one time on the themes of the garden in the Bible. The garden themes of rivers. The rivers and gardens in the Bible, especially rivers. That's a tremendous thing to look at. If you look at how the Bible treats this theme throughout its pages, and it's interesting, but it's um, it deals with that over the storyline of the Bible. That's another way of thinking about it. a biblical theology it deals with a storyline of the Bible as well. 
Historical theology studies the development of theological ideas over time. So we would say, what is the... What was the it was the modernist perspective on evolutionary theory and creationism? Okay, that's a that's a historical theological question. Uh, dogmatic theology deals with systems, creedal systems. So, what is a Catholic versus Protestant understanding of the sacraments at the Lord's table? That is a dogmatic theology question. Um, theology proper is the study of God, studying the nature and existence of God, and it's a subset of systematic theology. So we're talking about systematic, we're going to be using systematic theology to discuss these doctrines. And I always like to begin by explaining what it is. So let's talk a little bit more about the necessity of systematic theology. It is as an explanation of Christianity. It provides a research and studied explanation of doctrine provides organization to doctrines that are foundational and necessary. So, again, this is about the systematizing of doctrine. We're going to pull from all of Scripture. It helps Christians have a clear understanding about fundamental beliefs. It's good for an explanation. It's secondly, it's good for, as an apologetic for Christianity. Uh, it helps defend the beliefs of the Christian faith in a rational way. It helps Christians organize their faith into propositional truths. Organize their faith into propositional truths. What is a propositional truth? What is a proposition? Give me an example of a proposition. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be a proposition about God. It can be a proposition about... An offer, an example. Yeah, um... Let me give you an, okay, I'll give you an example. Well, a proposition, that, that's what we think of proposition. A proposition in this term is actually a statement of fact. Okay, a propositional truth is like a statement of fact. It would be like, so we use proposition today, like I, I gave him a proposition, which is like an offer. In fact, it's used as a euphemism for lots of things, right? Um, but in, in, in our terminology here, a propositional truth is a truth Precisely stated. Um, probably in its most precise form. I don't know exactly if that's a good way of putting it, but like a precisely stated truth um, that is affirmative. So I would say something like God, um, or I w- let me use a non-theological propositional statement. Um, our church is situated at 153 Miller Pond Road in Rock Hill, South Carolina. That is, a, that is a statement of fact, um, and it is, it, is a, it is propositionally true. It is, it, is, it is an assertion that is positive. We're going to be making assertions about God, not just we're going to be hearing, seeing theology work. We're going to be working theology out. So again, kind of back to my example earlier of, of the Holy Spirit personality. The, the personhood of the Holy Spirit is not anywhere explicitly described very well, we put together pieces. The doctrine of the Trinity is another example where there is not a really good spot in the scripture where it is described like it's handed to you. You have to put together truths and then come up with a single united propositional truth that clearly and precisely articulates that. Okay, So that's kind of what we're doing with this, this stuff here. Um, it's an apologetic uh, for Christianity to defend the beliefs of the Christian faith in a rational way. Systematic theology helps the Christian organize the faith into propositional truths. Systematic theology is an assertion of Christian truth. These same truths are essential to the maturity of believers. Paul's writings make it clear that doctrine, theology, is foundational for Christian maturity in as much as Paul normally builds a doctrinal foundation in his epistles before he exhorts the believers to live correctly. That is a fascinating study. If you ever want a fascinating study, go to the book of books that Paul writes and find imperatives. If you, if you listed all the imperatives in the book of Romans, they almost all come after Romans chapter 12. If you list all the imperatives in the book of, of Ephesians, they almost all come after Ephesians chapter 3. Paul always builds a foundation of doctrine first and then exhortations and application follow. Okay. So what are the requirements for systematic theology for us to do it? Um, Well, number one, inspiration and inerrancy of scriptures. 
in order for the scripture for us to do this, the scripture must remain the ruler by which we judge theological truth. Okay, if we're going to know about God, we cannot stand as judges over the Bible. We must stand under the authority of scripture. This is so foundational. We have scripture, scriptural authority. The Word of God, which derives this authority from God because the Word of God is spoken by God. And if it's inspired and inerrant, we, it tells us, I'm going to put us here. We stand under the authority of the Word of God. We do not stand above it, determining what we want to believe. We rather stand under its authority and we allow it to speak for itself. So inspiration means God breathed. It means that God, inspired, the words of God are exactly what he wanted them to be. They speak his truth. Inerrant means that they do not have errors in them. So understood properly, the word of God is without error. And, and it is, it is uh, inspired. The Bible teaches that in several different places. Number two, application of proper hermeneutical principles. If you approach the system... I'm sorry, systematic theology with the wrong methodology, you will not get the right, quote, answers. And I put junk in, junk out. Like, if you, if you start with the wrong premise, you will end up with the wrong answers. As a scientific approach is a requirement here. Um, if you're wrong, you can be proven to be wrong. Okay, this isn't about everybody's feelings. This isn't, this isn't art. This is science, right? It's a scientific approach. Um... Objectivity, it doesn't matter how you feel about doctrines, they are either true or they are not. So theology is not subjective, it does not depend on the person seeing it. Theology is not a study of your mind, it's a study of God. Okay. And again, in our modern context, where is, we're very much about radical subjectivity and how people feel about things, um, we need to take this uh, and, and understand it and, uh, and believe it. Progressive revelation, that is the New Testament has priority of the Old Testament in explanation and developing theology. Progressive revelation teaches us that doctrines are developed over time. Also, illumination, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Even while one is applying proper hermeneutics and methodology, there is a divine element to understanding God's truth. That's on page 154 of, I think that's uh, hermeneutical spiral. Or it could be, uh, what book is that from? Forgot to cite that. Oh, don't quote, don't say I didn't. Uh, <laughs> Moody Handbook of Theology. It's, it's, the, it's this one. If it's just a number, it's from ends. How about that? Does that work? Don't kick me out. Recognition of human limitations. Even if you get all the methodology right, take precautions not to misunderstand the text. You need to understand your own human limitations on dealing with theology. We can never completely understand God, so we should expect the scripture to be the same. While it is clear, and we can understand what we need to know, there are things we may want to know we cannot fully grasp. Okay. God has not told us everything we want to know. I wish he had. But he hasn't. And there's a reason for that. Okay. God, God is keeping us humble by not giving us everything that we want to know, I think. That's part of it. The secret things belong to the Lord, says the book of Deuteronomy. Um, but those that are revealed belong to us and to our children. So we need to understand that and take that for what it is. Um, that was the requirements of systematic theology. Next, the sources of systematic theology. What are we going to be doing? We'll wrap up here, and then we'll uh, let you go. See what we... Yeah. Primary sources are direct sources. Secondary sources are indirect sources. Do you know the difference between a primary and a secondary source? When you're doing your paper on Christology, you can use primary sources. What would be a primary source for your paper on Christology? It would be either a quote from Arius or a quote from the Bible. A secondary source would be a book about the Bible or a book about Christology, or our, this book, secondary source. So primary sources would be the source themselves. 
Uh, so I have put an explanation here. I don't know if it's in your thing, but when writing a paper, you can read the writings of the person you're writing about, or you can read what others have said about the person you're writing about. The first example is primary. The second is secondary. My primary source for theology is the revelation of God, that is the scripture. Another primary source is the natural world, according to Psalm 19. And secondary sources include doctrinal confessions, so history, tradition, Although fallible, we will give important understandings concerning how believers have understood theology. I will say this. The older that I get, the more I appreciate tradition, and I appreciate the wisdom of men who've come before, because I see what they're wrestling with. Um, Don't be so quick to just dismiss old guys with what they say. Sometimes they... (laughs) uh, Very often there's a reason, and it's not often a bad reason, uh, that things are said a certain way. Um, and number three, reason. Submit it to the supernatural rather than trying to define it. Um, I know I went like a million miles per hour. I promise I won't go that fast all the time. Yes, ma'am. I have a missing page. I have a miss- missing page. What page are you missing? Um, five and six. Oh, no. Is anybody else missing page five and six? You- yeah. Are you missing page five? Yeah. Then. Here, why don't you take mine? Just pass. Well, six is just blank. Yeah. So six is six is blank. It's just because we start unit one on the on an odd number page. It's one of my little one of my little pet peeves is that I like to I like to to format these things. So they look professional. So they always start on the right-hand side, and the odd numbers are on the right, and the even numbers are on the left, and all that kind of stuff. You mean you like format? I do. I Can you gather that? I like formatting. I spent like a half an hour talking about formatting tonight. You're lucky you weren't here for our preaching and teaching the Bible, and I spent a whole class on how to format a sermon. Um, or if you took class twice. Or if you took class twice. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Now, are there any... Does that make sense? You kind of see what I'm saying, the difference, like what we're trying to do with systematic theology. I wanted to kind of set the stage before we dive into this particular doctrine of what we're trying to accomplish. And some of that may not have resonated with you, but I hope that you kind of get the idea. Any questions? What questions do you have? We have like five minutes. We can. Any questions at all uh, about this? It's subjective, but how far do you take the inferences in general? I mean, obviously, insofar as they're... As far, as far as they're... Yeah, so you can take them as long as far as you want. I mean, the thing is, is that the clearer texts have supremacy over the unclear text. So it's a cumulative case. So when you're making your case, it's cumulative. You start with something. If you don't have a super clear statement, you do the best you have, best you can. And then you work to less clear statements. And if you find supports that aren't super clear, but they're there... You can use that as a support. It may not stand on its own, but in the cumulative case, it ends up making quite a convincing case for a doctrine. Uh, But I always say that the doctrines that are not very clear, you hold very loosely. For example, end times doctrines, doctrine of eschatology, has a lot of things that are highly speculative. That's because it hasn't happened yet, right? And we just don't know, like, is this, are the... Are the um, Apollyon things coming out of the ground that have hair like women and wings like locusts and make the sound of a, of a dragon or whatever? I can't remember all the description. Is that a, is that a Black Hawk helicopter? Okay. It could be. Like, I, if you were a first century man seeing this thing, you might say, that looks like a, uh, you know, a hair like a woman and making this noise and it's got a tail like a scorpion and you know you could you could see that right or (laughs) or it could be something that completely different so we like the more clear it is the more firm you can be the less clear it is the less firm you you can still hold a position here's the other thing you can have doctrinal positions that aren't like completely you can have crazy ideas it's okay to have a couple crazy ideas everybody has a couple crazy ideas as long as you recognize that they're crazy and they're not like you don't make them your soapbox here here's the thing that that bothers me i don't mind you having a crazy idea just keep it to yourself 
Like, unless you're having a discussion with coffee around, you know, have you ever thought about like when Satan fell, like how did that, like what exactly, when did that happen? And if you, like, I have a theory about the fall of Satan, but we're not going to talk about it because it's not relevant, right? Tease you with that, right? But, it, but it's interesting. Like you can have those, you can have those discussions. I don't mind you having like, but the thing is, is that you have to understand that those things are on the fringe. Like if you have fringe kind of ideas that aren't central to the doctrines of the faith. So there are some things you cannot budge on. Doctrine of resurrection of Christ, doctrine of deity of Christ. These things are non-negotiable. The, the reality of miracles. Like if you like, well, Jesus really didn't do miracles. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Whoa, stop. The, you've stepped over a line. That is not the same as saying, you know, um, trying to think of a good, another good example of like, um, uh, you know, some people, bullet, I, I'm not going to get crazy, crazier stuff, you know, uh, fringy stuff, you know, uh, fun stuff to talk about what angels really look like or, you know, whether a certain appearance of God was a Christophany or a theophany. That is whether it's appearance of Christ or of, of God himself, you know, of whether when Jacob wrestled with God, what was going on there was that Christ was it an angel when, when God, you know, these kinds of things are, you can have fringe ideas. That's okay. As long as you can support it with scripture. And as long as you are humble about it, you know, good, good, good question. What, any other questions you got? No. Okay. So next week, what are you doing? You're reading uh, your book. If you need the reading, for this week, which is that uh, section there, uh, 229 to 235. I will ask you to email me. Please email me, and I will scan this and send you a digital copy over email. That's the best I can do. I'm sorry. I wish I had made copies for you tonight to pass them out. But you do need to have your own copy of the book. Okay. But if you email me, I will send it to you as soon as I can, probably tomorrow. So you'll have enough time to read it and study it. Okay. Uh, pay attention to the verses. Pay attention to... Um, let me look at this. Uh, I'm trying to give you some hints here about what you're going to be quizzed on. Pay attention to the, the um, prophecies about Christ. You know... Um, like what, what, what kinds of prophecies there were. I don't know. Do the best you can. I'll be I'll be nice, I promise. Okay? Thank you. That's it.